You know, when we were going through worship um, just a few moments ago, <laughs> I didn't realize the last two songs were indicative of where my heart's been. And what it is, basically, I've been studying Revelation and preparing for what I believe God wants me to do, uh, not, not on Sunday mornings, but... Uh, but on Thursday nights, we're going to be going through Revelation in detail. Um, I'm really trying to fit it in over a six-month period. Um, that's going to be really interesting to try and do. But we're going to go through a detailed study of Revelation, and that's coming up. I, am, I know the Thursday night is normally for young people for college age, but when we do that, um, I'm waiting till we get in the building, but when we do that, I am going to open it up to anybody. Um, but I, I say this to let you know where my mind's been. And in studying what he is planning to do, it gives you a vision of the throne room of God. And that's what those last two songs talked about. I don't know if you, if you know that or if you caught that, but in the throne room of God, what is going on, especially in what's to come? That's not what I'm preaching on this morning, but I just want to make you aware of how relative that is, how real that is. That could happen right now. He could come right now, and we could be with him in the blink of an eye if we know him as Savior. That's real. We're to expect that. Not only are we to expect that, we're to pray for that, the Bible says. We're to constantly pray for that, praying for his coming. So again, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. <laughs> I don't mean to, to detour. It's just as we were doing those last two worship songs, it, it just really brought me to the place of where I've been in the word of God. And, and just, just the joy of knowing that we will physically be with him one day. And I don't think that day is that far off. Now, this morning, what we're going to be talking about is a new series. It's a three-part series that I'm beginning this morning. And it is on faith, hope, and love. And the verse that I want to, I want to attach to this, I want you to turn to, and it's Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. This verse, along with another verse that I'll read in the intro here, is our cornerstone of the next three weeks, okay? But I want you to understand it's more than just that. This isn't just messages to fill the next three weeks, okay? We've been talking about intimacy with Jesus Christ, how there is nothing more important than intimacy with him. If you seek a relationship with Jesus Christ, you must do that through intimacy. You must do that through one-on-one. -on -one through being in his word, through being in prayer, through being silent, as we talked about last week, just soaking him in, just listening to him. As he says in Psalms, be still, know that I am God. You know, there, there's, there's times where there's a silence about God speaking to us. Other times he speaks like roaring waters. You know, in Revelation he speaks with the thunderous voice, but in Isaiah, he didn't hear God until it was the still small voice. So it comes with the intimacy of Christ. That's how we hear from him. So in that intimacy, it's important to understand that that intimacy really is wrapped into three things. Faith, hope, and love. And let's, let's read Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. You ever wonder why the, word, the number three pops up all the time in the Scripture? You know, scripture has different numbers and different meanings of these numbers. Three is a critical number in the Word of God. Three in the Word of God represents the Trinity. Three represents the power of the Godhead. A threefold cord is saying can stand up 
to the enemy. That's what that verse is talking about. If you're by yourself, you don't have the same strength as if you're with two. And that doesn't have the same strength as if you are with three. If you look at the picture on the graphic, it's like a rope. Okay, a rope that's twisted together multiplies its strength than if you were to have one strand. Now, the interesting thing is that you can really go into that metaphor because each individual rope of those three has different strands within it wrapped around. That's how they make rope. That's how they make this this cabling to handle heavier weights. So for us this morning, the strength in a threefold cord is critical to understand. It can't be one thing. Now let's apply that to what I believe is the most important aspect in your relationship with Jesus Christ and what that relationship needs to entail. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Most of you know this as the love chapter, called the love chapter. But 1 Corinthians 13, at the end of the love chapter, verse 13, it boils down our relationship into three simple aspects. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. That's why we're going to save love for the third week. Okay, Today, we're talking about faith. Today, we're talking about the first aspect of relationship. You cannot have the other two without this first one. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus Christ without faith. Everything begins with faith. Think about that. Even knowing who he is, is by faith. Why? Because we don't see him. We can experience him, we can experience things about him, but it's only through faith that we know that he is there. It's, it's only through faith that we can look at the word of God and believe what it says. It's only by faith that we can read the word of God and know that that is the word of God. I don't know about you, one of my favorite channels is the History Channel. And then one of my second favorite channels is the History 2 channel. Okay, and I'll tell you why. i got to tell you, it's not because of its accuracy. (laughs) Because it is not accurate. Although they do have pawn stars, and that's really cool. Okay, but they have programs on there. And I found myself all day yesterday, I I don't know, I probably watched five hours of TV yesterday. And because they had this series on... One was on the, the, I think, the Shroud of Turin. One was on the face of Jesus Christ and the missing 40 days of Jesus Christ after he, re- he rose from the grave, which, by the way, weren't, they weren't missing at all. The Bible talks about it and, and actually tells us a lot of what was going on. You know, so some of these shows were on there, and, and probably my favorite one that I saw yesterday was on the Great Pyramid. And believe it or not, the Great Pyramid, they, they brought in all kinds of stuff about Christianity. And all kinds of stuff that was absolutely incorrect. Okay. Now, here's the thing. We take that in. I watch that because I love to see where the world is at in their understanding of who God is and their understanding of the Bible. And when you do that, it starts to get you a little bit frustrated. It starts to get you even a little bit worried that people are going to believe the wrong thing. But here's the thing. It's by faith that we accept the Bible as true. That's the beginning point. Now, it doesn't always stand on faith. Okay, I can tell you from being saved for 42 years that my trust in the Word of God is no longer just by faith. Why? Because he's proven it to me. He's proven his word over and over and over and over again to me. So it's no longer faith. It's developed into hope. And it's developed into love. So it begins with faith. We cannot open a door in relationship to Jesus Christ without faith. That's why faith is the very cornerstone of our relationship with him. We can't have it without it. We can't please him without it. 
Okay, so today, again, we're talking about faith. What is faith? Now, the cool thing is, for all three of these, we can actually turn to a single chapter. There's a love chapter we just talked about. There's a faith chapter we're going to go to this morning. And yes, believe it or not, there's a hope chapter. Not not quite as popular or, or widely known. But we're going to turn today to the faith chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to go through a few things in here, understanding what faith is. So let, let's start out by, you know, in, in this chapter, I, whoever the writer of Hebrews was, I happen to believe it was Paul, but whoever the writer of Hebrews was, he starts this faith chapter by making a statement as to what faith is. And I know you've all heard this, but let's break it down a little bit. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so we have a, a couple of key terms in there that we want to understand. If we're, if we're to understand what this faith is, okay, what, what this, the, the meaning of the faith is and the workings of faith, we need to understand two words in there. That first word is assurance. Okay, the Greek word there is hypostasis. It means to remain under or to have a confidence in. So what it's saying is now faith is to remain under or have confidence in things hoped for. Right? We hope for a relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we have hope in him. The faith is to remain under or to have a confidence in something that we want to be a part of. Then, the conviction of things not seen. Conviction there... The, the Greek word is elegos, which is proof of evidence. So let, let's, let's look back at that. Now, faith is to remain under or have confidence in things hoped for, the proof or evidence of things you don't see. What does that mean? How do you have proof of things you don't see? Anybody ever not believe in gravity? <laughs> of course you believe in gravity. Anybody drop anything ever? No, that is proof of something you don't see. You cannot see gravity, but you can see the effect of gravity. You cannot see faith or a relationship in Jesus Christ, but you see the effect of that relationship. In the time that I've grown in Christ, I still cannot call to the house and say, yeah, Lord, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Go and go actually see him. Wouldn't it be cool if we could? One day we will. I can't just schedule a time to go meet him in his office. Spend some physical one-on-one -on -one time to where I am physically seeing him. Okay, I can't manipulate that. But by faith... I can see the evidence of that. I can see the evidence of that relationship. When I spend time with him, when I'm intimate with him, there is reaction to that intimacy. There's something that happens inside of me. There's something that happens even to the people around me. There's something that happens to the very atmosphere that I breathe. See, those are evidences of that faith. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning in terms of your relationship with Christ, but one thing I can guarantee you, if you decide to take that to the next level of faith in him, of intimacy with him, one thing he promises is you will see the evidence of that faith. You will see the evidence of those steps. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever decided, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to be intimate with you. I'm going to seek you. And you decide to do your part. You decide to pray. You decide to spend time in his word. You decide to soak him in like we talked about last week. Have you ever decided to do this, actually began to do it, and then you see results of it? Yeah. Why? Because that's what he promised. 
He promised if we take a step toward him, he takes a step toward us. And actually, I, I almost think that, that, you know, when he says, drawn to me and I will draw unto you, he, in the Bible, he makes that pretty equal. But I gotta say, I don't think I've ever experienced that little. I don't think I've ever experienced him equaling my step. What it's always been is if I take a step toward him, he's taken a leap toward me. He is so excited to be in relationship with you. It doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter where he places you in life or what you've done. It doesn't matter your sin. He wants to be with you, period. It doesn't matter all those other things. See, from his perspective, the intimacy will fix those other things. The intimacy changes where we are in in our place of life. If we're living in sin, I guarantee you one thing that will end that is intimacy with God. Why? Not just because of the conviction that he gives us. Not just because the the Bible says not to do this or not do that. But when you become intimate with Christ, your relationship comes to a place where you realize what hurts him. You realize what it does when you are not faithful to him. When, when we have something in our lives that keep us from fellowship with Christ, the more we seek this intimacy with him, the more we understand what that does to him. It's just like a relationship. Think about a relationship in your life that you adore, that you love. It could be a spouse, it could be You know, a parent, it could be a child. The more intimate you are in that relationship, the more one-on-one you seek in that relationship, the more you're going to learn what hurts that other person. The more you're going to learn what they see you doing and how it affects them. See, that's the intimacy. From that intimacy, we see evidence of Jesus Christ. We see evidence of the very thing that we have faith in. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, he produces evidence. So I can tell you after 42 years that that God has proven himself over and over and over and over and over again to me. So what I needed faith for at the beginning is no longer faith for me. It's just normal. Why? Because I've seen the evidence of it. I've seen the production of it. So then he takes our relationship to a new level where it requires faith. See, God will always do something that will require faith. Why? Because faith is what makes him happy. Faith is what pleases him in that relationship. Hebrews 11.6 says we cannot even please God without faith. Let's go down to verse 6. And let's let's read that. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, we usually just hang on the first half of that verse. You know, and and I've quoted it a million times, you know, without faith we cannot please him, right? Without faith we cannot please him, period. Over, done with. No, there's a second part to that verse that I think we need to understand here this morning. For whoever would draw near to God... In other words, whoever desires to be intimate with God, with the God of this universe, to draw together in intimacy, they must do what? They must believe that he exists. They must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that's next week. That's the hope. That's part of the hope. Believing that he is going to reward the steps you take. Knowing that 
that when I take a step toward him in faith, he's going to take a leap toward me. See, that's him rewarding me for my step. When God, God calls you to something, perhaps he has called you to whatever vocation you are in life, or perhaps he's called you to speak to somebody, when you step out in faith and you do that, when you do what he's calling you to do, you have to, in that faith, know he rewards that. See, there's a reason why we do those things. If there wasn't a reason, then why do we do them? Obviously, our faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we know there's a reward for that. Right? And that is to be with him when we die. Because there is a heaven, there is a hell, and there is only one way to go to heaven. And that is by accepting Jesus Christ and the gospel of who he is, accepting him and giving him place in your heart as master, as savior. That's the only way to heaven. See, we by faith accept that. So we take that step. We ask him into our hearts. We ask his forgiveness of sin. We ask him to dwell there to be master of our lives. And then we have expectation, right? Because he rewards our faith. Now, we actually don't realize that right away, I suppose, unless we die immediately. (laughs) Okay, but by faith, we know that that's coming. By faith, we know that the reward of that act is coming. See, you see, it it, it works the same way beyond salvation. You know, we've talked in the past, salvation is broken down into three categories. You have justification, which is what most people call salvation, where you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, and then you're saved, and you know that one day you will be with him in heaven, right? That's, that's justification of our salvation, okay? The second part, and the, the, probably the part that we put the most into, well, definitely the part we put the most into is our sanctification, Our sanctification is from the moment of our initial justification until the last breath that we breathe. That's our sanctification. What is sanctification? It's when we draw close to Jesus Christ in relationship. It's not what we do for him. It's not that, well, I did this ministry, this ministry, and this ministry, and and by the way, Lord, I I, I led this person to the Lord, that person to the Lord. You know, I, I gave to the poor. You know, I I did this. I did all these works, God. It's not that. That's not our sanctification. Unless that's a result of our heart. Unless that's a result of God filling us. Like I talked last week about that 55-gallon barrel. You put the hose in it. The hose is, is Jesus Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you turn the water on full blast. See, nothing really affects the area around it, until it's full and overflowing. It's the same with Christ. There's very little effect until he is filling us up. If he is not filling us, then you're not being effective. You can do all the ministry you want, and it's not going to have the same effect. And it definitely will not have the same effect when you stand before the Lord. Because he is a rewarder of those who what? Who seek him. Who seek him. Not he's a rewarder of those who read their Bible for ten minutes a day. He's a rewarder of those who who teach Sunday school. You know, he's a rewarder of those who give their tithe. No, that's not what it says. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All those other things which are good, which are necessary, which are part of God's plan, he does as an after effect of seeking him. All of those things are done by faith. See, we don't have to step out in faith to go do some ministry. All we have to do is step out in faith in saying, God, you direct my step. I will focus on being intimate with you. And you direct my step. He simplifies things for us. In faith, he makes it simple. But yet we tend to make it hard. 
we tend to think of things in terms of this big list of things we have to do. Well, I feel called to this, and I feel called to that, and, and I feel like I need to do this and that, because the Bible says to do it, so I feel I need to do it. And all those things are good, but if you don't put him right in the middle, if you don't put your intimacy with him at the very beginning point, then all those things are empty works. All those things have, they may affect other people. I'm not saying that. You may actually do ministry and it may be affecting other people for good. In fact, it probably is. The only person missing out is you. See, because when we get before the Lord, up in heaven before the beam of seat of Christ, it's not going to matter what we did. It was going to matter our intimacy with him. That's why in the word of God, he talks about doing all these things, but he breaks it down to a simple method. And that is what we've talked about for weeks, intimacy with Jesus Christ. Seek him first. Intimacy with that relationship. Then everything flows out of that. So again, in this faith, to please him, we must believe first that he exists. And second, that he rewards those who seek him, who diligently go after him. There's a reward coming for that. Okay, all the heroes of the faith, their faith was a time yet to come. If you read through, and I'm not going to take the time to read through all of chapter 11, but I'm really going to suggest reading through chapter 11. Because it gives tons of examples of what I would call heroes in the faith. You know, these people in the word of God that, that took, took extraordinary steps of faith. Trusting God to lead in ways that were extraordinary. That were beyond them. And there's so many in the word of God as examples for us that were normal, everyday people. These were not people that, well, you know, those are... Bible people. <laughs> you know, they're different than we are. They're no different than we are. They're not. Because it's not about their qualifications. It was about their intimacy. You look at David, look at his life. It wasn't about his qualifications. He was a shepherd. He was by himself. He was a short, squatty kid. <laughs> but yet, think about when he was anointed by Samuel. You know, his seven brothers before him were all passed by, and he's, Samuel's like, do you not have another son? Well, yeah, we got David, but he's in the field. Can't be him. You know, he brings David up, and David's the one. You ever notice in that passage that didn't surprise David? David wasn't like, really, me? No, there was an expectation. Why? Because David was intimate with Christ. David had time that he poured into his relationship. And then his relationship, even though nobody was around, his relationship was tested. It was tested long before he was ever around people. It was tested when the bear came. It was tested when the lion came. It was tested, and those are the ones we turn to because those are the great ones. Those are awesome. David's, you know, can you imagine literally killing a lion or killing, I'm not sure which one I'd rather fight. I don't know. Both would be pretty nasty. Didn't bother David. But imagine the other times. You know, what does he have on his hands? Time. So imagine the quiet times. Imagine the times when he wasn't hearing from the Lord. All of us have experienced those, where we have, we have stepped in intimacy with God, and we've trusted him for something, and we know that he's at work in something, but yet he's not talking anymore. He's not speaking to my heart. He's not speaking through his word. He's silent about the whole thing. I would imagine with David... These probably happened 
leading up to those battles, leading up to that time with the lion, leading up to that time with the bear. Why? Because God has to test us in our faith. If he tells you something, if he tells you, I want you to do this, you're intimate with him, you're seeking him in relationship, and he says, here's your next step. I want you to take this step. Just take it. Have faith. Take it. Step into the Jordan. Take it. But then when we take it, we kind of look around and the surroundings are unfamiliar now. I've taken this step. I'm not sure what to do. And to make things worse, he's silent. He's not saying anything. He's not telling you, here's the clear next step. I don't know about you, but man, he seems to do that all the time. And what it is, is when you get into that place where you're unfamiliar, where you're nervous, where you don't know what's coming, you don't know how to control this or control that, you have to sit in that space of faith. You have to sit in that place where you trust that he told you to take that step. That's where we've been with this church plant many, many, many times. That's where we are even with this building. I mean, we we have no room for growth here, obviously. We have been told that a building is coming. A building is on the way. So we're sitting in that place where we can only operate in faith. That's it. We can only operate in faith knowing He put us here where we are right now. So by faith, I'm going to choose to operate in this place. Why? Because it pleases him. Why? Because I know that it brings on rewards. And the rewards are what he's going to do through us. The rewards are the the joy, the love, the peace, the satisfaction that we get when we are operating in his will. Those are the rewards. Not to mention the rewards when we get to heaven. So we operate in this place of faith where there's silence. And I could just imagine, you know, him as a father looking down and just saying, Man, I really want to tell him. I really want to tell him what's going on. I really want to tell him the next step. But I need this faith seed to be planted deep. I need it to be in good, fertile ground so that it grabs root. So he's silent. And for us, I don't know about you, but that's some of the most agonizing times. When you know you're in the will of God, you know you have taken the step that you're supposed to, but you can't, the fog's so thick, you can't see 10 feet in front of you. I don't know about you, that, that's, that seems to be 80% of the Christian walk. <laughs> so we may as well get comfortable being there. Because you know what, at some point, he's going to give this building. At some point, we are going to be operating in a building and growing to the next level and all of that. But then, taking that step, he's going to put us in a place where he's silent again. And he's saying, you trusted me before, trust me again. Do you see what's happening? And I I wish I had put a a graphic on, on on the wall of this, but... Faith is not a linear line. Okay, it's not this flat line that you see that that faith just goes on for eternity and, and it's this flat thing. That's not how it's supposed to be. See, faith is supposed to be cyclical and growing. What do I mean by that? It's it's what I was just explaining. He tells us to take a step and trust him. Right? When we do that then there's a little bit of silence. There's a little bit of trepidation because we're, we're out of our comfort zone. We're in a place that we don't exactly know what he's going to do, except we have faith that we're supposed to be there. 
And we've, we have faith and vision, perhaps, of where he's taking us, but he's silent. But see, it's just like stairs. We just stepped up a stair. And then, while we're on that stair, he builds that foundation. He shows us the evidence of that faith. So right now, we have stepped forward to say, saying out loud, and that's why I've said it many times, even for all of those listening on the internet, I've said it that God has promised us a building. Not even that. He has promised us a specific building. Okay, now that's a step of faith. Especially when we know that the owners have not agreed with that. The owners don't agree, but last I checked, the owners have no control over God. Now, I've never said this before, but I'm going to say it today. And I really prayed about this. I said, Lord, if you want me to say this, you bring it to my mind, and he just did. That building is 1300 Marrows Road. That's how specific he has been. Now, I say that, I don't even know how you received that, because The purpose of it isn't for you to necessarily have faith in that. Because you may or you may not, depending on where you're at. But when he gives it to us, it's going to be a testimony to you. It's going to be a testimony to all of those listening on the internet. See, by doing that, I take a chance. I take a chance in looking foolish. I take a chance in trusting what he said to be a testimony for you. I I don't do that lightly. And, (laughs) And I can imagine some people saying to me later, I shouldn't have done that. I don't do that lightly. I don't do that because I think this is what he's doing for us. I do it because I know. Because he has told me. He has not just told me. He has told several others. He has confirmed it over and over and over and over again. See, it's the same with the calling of ignition. I've said this before, but it seems really ridiculous to think that we, you know, sitting in a living room right now, are called to be a global church, to be a global movement. That's ridiculous. That's asinine. That doesn't make sense. But I say that because I know the vision that he's given. I know the direction he wants us to to step. And by faith, we step there. That's why by faith, we started this church. By faith, you're here. By faith, you're hearing this message right now. This is not an accident. Because you're called to something significant. You're called to what the Bible says church is supposed to be. See, this world, specifically what we know in the United States, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees it's going to stay the way that it is. That churches have a place of safety in the United States. In fact, it says just the opposite. At some point, we know that's not true. At some point, we know. I'm going through Revelation right now and... I don't see any place in there where it's got, oh, and by the way, the U.S., they're kind of different than everybody else. It's always going to be safe there, and, and, you know, so you guys can just go there, and that'll be like your safe haven. (laughs) No. I mean, anybody that thinks that, you know, you're just not thinking. So where we're headed is a place of turmoil, is a place of persecution, is a place where I believe the church is going to rise and stand up. Right? So that's why the vision of Ignition Church isn't just 
what you think of as a normal church. Call me whacked, call me whatever you want, but when I think of ignition, I think of preparation for persecution. I think of a strategic plan that allows the church to be underground and to make that transition if it needs to. See, it already needs to overseas in many places. We already have that need. I know when we start that work in Nigeria in April, we already have the need there. It's coming to where we are as well. Why? Because the one who controls this earth hates us. The one who controls this earth hates God. And we know in the Bible that all of this is going to come to a place of persecution. It just is. But I hope that doesn't depress you. And I'll tell you why. Because I, I, I used to think, man, as, when I was a kid especially, man alive, that's, that's depressing. You know, persecution. You know, not being allowed to, to worship when I want to worship. Not being allowed to do what I want to do. But I want you to understand, at least from my, my perspective, what I've seen historically in the Word of God is when the church is persecuted and they rise up. Do you know that over the last 10 years, the greatest growing church has been in China? China. Where they've not allowed church. Why? Because it's underground. I have video of this one church. There are over 5,000 people. Okay, 5,000 people that meet way out in the woods. And, I mean, they were even, the, this, this missionary that was there and filming this, he wouldn't even say where it was. But they all go out there, and they go out there, and they worship for 24 hours at a time. Because they know that they can't get together any other time. They'll get together that one day a week. And that's it. So they all stay up. They all worship. They all praise. And, and this, this pastor, they asked him to speak. And he said, well, what do you want me to speak on? And, and this particular one, they were going to be out there for a week. Can you imagine that? A week, seven days, out in the wilderness. And they said, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to speak on? And they said, well, maybe, maybe start in Genesis. They said, how, how long do you want me to speak? And they said, till you get tired. And then take a nap. And then when you wake up, preach more. Preach for the whole week. He said, why? They said, because we don't have the word of God. You are to us the word of God. What you're preaching is our word of God. Do you understand? That's persecution in a nation. But over the last 10 years, there have been average 1,200 salvations per hour in China. Per hour. 24 hours a day. Why? Because the church rose up. The church rose up in persecution. Don't be surprised by things happening in the U.S. I mean, fight against them. Don't get me wrong. I believe that we're to be political. I believe we're to have a voice. And perhaps God will continue it a little longer. Because we have been active, because we take our place in society and we fight for what's right. It's our obligation to do that. It's our obligation to be involved in these... these uh, uh, in the, the presidential nominations coming up. You know, it's, it's our responsibility to do that. To fight for everything we believe in. Fight for everything that Jesus Christ stands for. But don't be surprised when it goes the other way. See, it shouldn't surprise you that the majority does not have their say. I know it's frustrating, it's frustrating to me that the majority is not represented in Washington. 
However, it shouldn't surprise us because that's the way of the world. That, in, in a way, it should excite us. I know this is demented, <laughs> but I'm excited for the persecution that's coming. I'm excited because the average Christian is no longer the average Christian. The average Christian steps up and they become more on fire. See why? The stakes are higher. Now their choice is more clear. All of that has to operate in faith. Do you understand that these three things that we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, all three have to be present for us to be effective. All three have to be present for us to be intimate with Christ. Right? All three. Why? Because a threefold cord is not easily broken. A threefold cord has strength. If you have faith, hope, and love in your walk with Christ and you display that to others, you have strength that the enemy cannot easily break. See, that's what this church has. That's why this church... I had a, a, a guy prophesy over me one time, and, and it was interesting because when I started this, when God started to lay ignition on my heart, I mean, I had no idea it was going to be a church, but our first logo, you know, I came up with the, the, the logo of ignition and all that, but the first tagline we had on there Nobody, I, think, I think there's only one other person who, who even knows about this that, that was there at the time because uh, he and I were working on it together. But the, the tagline said, not a church, but a movement. Okay, and then when it became a church, I kind of thought, well, that doesn't work because <laughs> we are a church. So then I, I changed it to there's an army rising up. But that never left my heart. And when I was down in North Carolina last April, I was down there in this, this uh, um, I don't know, for those of you who have heard of Stacy Campbell, a uh, few of us went down there to, to meet her and to listen to her. And, and, um, uh, and it was a prophetic conference. But her, uh, a guy named John, her um, staff I guess he was staff coordinator or whatever he was, but he, he was one of the ones that preached. And, and the Holy Spirit told me when he was done preaching that I need to go have him pray over me. And so I went up and I waited in line, which seemed forever. But he finally got to me and he said a number of things that were very confirming. But one thing he said to me, it hit me hard. And he said, he said, he said, ignition, and he didn't know ignition. He didn't know who we were. He didn't even know the word ignition. But yet he's, he's saying it. He said, ignition, is, he said, it's not really a church. He said, I know, I know it's a church. He said, but, but, but I, I see it really more as a movement. And my, my heart just about exploded. Because, see, that's, what we need to trust. God is building a movement here in us. Not just in me, but in us. This is that little seed, that mustard seed, that grows to move a mountain. And it's not because of who we are. right? It's not because of who we are. It's simply because we don't put a block up for him. Do you see, Jesus Christ, in your own life, what he would do with you if you took the barriers down, you have to understand that. There's no glass ceiling. There's no end to what he wants to do in your life if we just take the barriers down. See, that's what we determined as a church. Alexis and I sat and said, Lord, if, if, if this is truly what you're wanting us to do, 
then we don't want any barriers. We don't want anything that would block us from your perfect will, your perfect desire. And in doing that, he said, okay, take a step. We take a step, and then he lets us sit in that faith for a little bit. Sit in that faith to let it take root. See, because later on, when we are all over the world, that process won't change. We still take steps, and he still has us sit in the faith. But the faith we had before, that's really, it is faith, but it's really no longer faith. It's really a part of our foundation. See, I don't have to have the same kind of faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, that I needed when I accepted him into my heart. Why? Because he proved it to me. He has spoken to me. He's lived in my life and displayed his power through me. He's proved it. So when we see evidence of this faith, it shifts. It shifts a little bit from faith to hope. It shifts from, from you know, this desire to now expectation. See, I expect him to speak to me. When I go to my secret place with him, I don't go there just thinking, well, I hope I get something out of this. I hope you'll meet me there. I hope that I'll be able to spend a little bit of time with you and maybe you'll open up my eyes a little bit. No, see, it's happened so many times that now I have expectation of it. In fact, when it doesn't happen, I know something's wrong. And it's not him. I know that if I go to my secret place and he does not meet me there, it's because I've got a problem. Perhaps I've got too many things on my mind to let him be in. He's not going to come in and he's not going to fight all the other things that, that hold our attention. He wants to be preeminent. He wants to be in that secret time, in that secret place. That should be just his. Nobody else's. Just his. So when we do that, we and, and over and over and over and over and over again, he comes and he meets us there. Man, now there's expectation. There's expectation of what he's doing. I want to read verses 13 to 16. We're still in Hebrews. And talking about some of the hero, heroes, and, and again, I said that so many of these heroes of the Bible were listed, but let's read verse 13 to 16. It says this. These all, the, all the heroes that were listed before, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I want you to get this. They did not receive all the things they were promised. Abraham's a good example. What did Christ say? He said, your seed will be like the sand of the sea or on the shore. Your, your seed will be like the stars in heaven. Did Abraham experience that? <laughs> no. No. Does he see it now? Sure. He did not receive that here. But yet, he still believed in faith. Looking back in, in verse 13, it says, And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. See, those people that were known in the word of God as those who had great faith, what were they doing? Their eyes were not here. Their eyes were on another time. Their eyes were on what's to come. Their eyes were on the real reality, what I've talked about before. That real reality is the kingdom of God. You know, here's a verse you've heard at least once. Matthew 
One of our foundational verses, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, we can't seek that here. Why? Because it's not, it's not physically here. It's a different dimension than what we understand. We have to seek beyond our current understanding. It's the same with Jesus Christ. When you accepted him into your heart, he wasn't sitting next to you in physical form. And yeah, okay, you, you look like you'd make a good God and not just accept you into my life, shake hands and sign a contract. It wasn't like that. You didn't see him. In fact, all you did was feel him. Right? So in that, you took a step of faith. Your faith was in another dimension. Your faith was in something to come. It wasn't in what you know here. It was the same with these fathers and mothers, if you will, of the faith. These people who had great faith. You know, another one that interests me in there is Rahab. You know, if it, Rahab was one that was in Jericho, and she, she, was the, the, she was a prostitute in Jericho. And when they came, the two spies came to Jericho to, you know, check it out and how they're going to do it and everything else. She's the one who hid them. Now, there's something important to understand in that story, and I don't want to get off track here a little bit, but I want you to understand the faith that's going on. In that story, first of all, why did they send the two spies? Okay, it wasn't for strategy on how to overcome Jericho. Because look at how they overcame Jericho. It had nothing to do with strategy. It had to do with march around the, the city, right? God did everything. All they did was march and sing and blow horns. Okay, God did everything. So why did they send the two spies? See, they sent the two, and this is what I love about the word of God. When you start seeing things like that, well, yeah, that doesn't make sense. That's kind of inconsistent. Why? Why? What's the point? Well, read the book of Ruth, and you'll understand the point. The book of Ruth is where Boaz takes Ruth and Naomi, basically. As a, he is the kinsman redeemer, takes, them, takes Ruth as his wife. That redeems Israel, right? Okay, which is also a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do in the end times, the tribulation, he redeems Israel, right? He is the kinsman redeemer. But the link to Jericho and Rahab is what? Rahab was Boaz's mother. Wow! God had purpose. That's why the two spies were sent. For one person. For one person they were sent. How important is God's will? How important is God's plan? Let it build your faith to know God intimately has a plan for you. He intimately desires to work in your life. So much so that if you looked back on your life or somebody were able to show you or God were able to show you, he could probably say, see right here, I did something I didn't need to do. I did it because I needed to reach you. I did it because I'm preparing you for something else. Just like those two spies he sent in to get Rahab. Again, they didn't need to do that. But Rahab was saved. And because of that came Boaz. And because of that, it's all also in the line of Christ. There's purpose in what he's doing in your life. Man, please don't come to church... And just think, you know, I'm getting my church in, and now I can feel good for another week. Take this. See what he's trying to do. Get serious about it. Why? Because he deserves it. Why? Because our hope isn't here. Our hope is in another place. Our hope is with him. Our hope is when we have thousands and thousands of churches all over the world. Not as a church, really, but as a movement. See, that's really where our hope is. 
as a church is Ignition Church. Sounds kind of ridiculous, right? Probably not any more ridiculous than Abraham being 100 years old and saying that he's going to have more kids than the sand on the shore. That, that to me, is pretty ridiculous. Right? That, that is, that's crazy. But yet he did. Why do you think God wouldn't want to do that with you? he does. You are no different than Abraham. Abraham wasn't anything special that you don't that you don't have the capability of. David had nothing special in him that you don't have the capability of. It's your choice. It's our choice to be intimate with him. It's our choice to look past this world and understand the world to come, which is the real reality. And I don't know about you, but I am not about to sacrifice my future in that world for the few moments that I have here, which is where I need to build my faith. See, there we see him. There we stand in front of him. Here we, we don't. We believe in him by faith. So utilize the time that you have here. Be steadfast in that faith. You know, Christ is our ultimate example of faith, and I'm going to close on this. I want you to turn to Hebrews 12. Just go a couple of pages over. Or if you have an iPad like me, just move your finger. Christ is our ultimate example of faith. And let's read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those heroes of the faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. See, what, what I believe the writer saying here is, because of their example... Take your life seriously for Christ. Lay aside the very things that take away from your intimacy with Him. The weight, the sin, the things that hold us back from being close to Him. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, with endurance, with faith, trusting in Him every step of the way, the endurance of this path he has placed you on. See, you're unique to the path that he has called you on. Yours is not like anybody else's. It's unique, just as mine is unique. And he brings those together, and he forms something special. That's the local church. He brings those giftings together for the purpose of the local church. For the purpose of his calling to move that forward into something bigger than what you see in this living room right now. Again, I say that as a testimony because you, you see what one person with faith has done. Can you imagine what 50 with faith could do? What 100 what 500, what 1,000, with this same mantra that I am looking at life for the beyond. Not for right now. Not for paying my bills. Not for, not for getting through this next week. Jesus, I know I'll get through this next week if I just pursue you. I know I'll pay my bills if I pursue you. Why? Because he promises to. He promises when you're his child, there are things that you can count on with him. That maybe the first few times you do it, it's going to be faith. And it's going to be a pretty big measure of faith. But after he supplies those needs time and time again, I've got to tell you, it's, there's a shift from faith to expectation. There's a shift from faith to trust. Where you just know he's going to do it. 
Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was looking beyond. Because the joy that was set before him was not in that life. Just as the joy that's set before us is not in this life. doesn't mean we don't have joy in this life. But it's not the goal. It's not the end result. And it wasn't for Jesus either. So he is our prime example of living by faith. Jesus had to have the faith in his Father just as we have to have faith in him. No different. That's why he came to earth. That's why he became a man. He proved how this should be. I want that to settle in you this week. I want to encourage you this week to read that chapter. Read it a few times. Perhaps read it once every day in your quiet time. And let the Lord show you in your intimacy with him that next step of faith. Let's bow our heads.